Well, we're so happy that you're with us this morning, and I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9 today, Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to begin looking at verse 35 in a very, very important text, and really the title of our message today is Taking the Cross to the City. This is our series that we're calling Cross City Church because this is the launch of this umbrella name over First Euless and over our North Campus. And aren't you glad that we're starting this at North Campus today with a dry run? There's about a hundred of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are normally worshiping in this room with us on Sunday morning that are now about 23 minutes or 24 minutes uh, north and uh, west of us. And so they're having that soft launch today. The Next week, we'll have them in the room, and we're going to dedicate them uh, in both services. And then on the 27th, they are launching Cross City Church North, and of course, we're Cross City Church First Eula. So we're kind of walking through the, the name change and the ability to understand what's that mean to say we're Cross City Church. And uh, this text is where we're going to begin. But we're so glad that you're with us this morning. You know, someone asked me about my facial hair. I haven't grown, I haven't shaved all of my facial hair since the uh, end of the year, first of the year. And, and I told somebody this morning, after the first three or four minutes of the Cowboy game uh, last night, I was almost ready to make a commitment to not shave until the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. And I thought maybe that's not such a good commitment to make about halftime. And uh, so I really did not make that commitment, but we're trying it on for size. And uh, as long as my wife is happy, I'm happy. You know, happy wife, happy life and all that. Uh, but the moment she says no, it disappears. It disappears. Well, if you have your Bibles and you look at this text with me for just a few moments, I want you to see this text as a key passage of Scripture to help us embrace the city. Last week, we looked at the importance and the power of the cross. And uh, we have in front of us one of the crosses that I made during our cross service. It's about a, a five or 700 pound, something like that, uh, cross beam and, and, uh, and cross member there. And uh, as we raise the cross every Good Friday, we remember the power of the cross. And the cross really has a message behind it. When you say you're a part of Cross City Church, you're really bringing a message to people. Because the cross says you're loved. And the cross says you're saved. And the cross says you're sanctified. And the cross says you are reconciled to God. It's really amazing the message of the cross and all that it means. And last week we spent some time in looking at that. But this week we're looking at the word city. What does it mean to say that we are cross city church first yearless? What does that mean? What does the city part of the church stand for? And I know that you and I know something about the word city and know what it means generally speaking. But what we want to do is put it in the context for you biblically to see how Jesus saw the city, how the Bible sees the city, therefore how we should see the city. Here's a statement I want you to keep in mind. God brings the message of the cross to the city through the church. God brings the message of the cross which we've just talked about for just a brief moment, and last week we spent time doing, the message of love, the message of reconciliation, the message of sanctification, the message of being saved from our sin and from the wrath of God. He brings the message of the cross to the city through the church. You and I articulate that amazing message of the love of God to all those around us, to the city and the, the citizens of the city in which we live, and so that's what we're really focusing on today. Let's stand together as we read a few verses out of Matthew chapter 9 today. And this text says everything about the view of Jesus towards the city. Verse 35 of Matthew 9. Jesus 
was going through all of the cities and villages. And by the way, every time in the Bible you see the word cities in the New Testament, it represents the, the walled city. That is the assembly of homes and places of living and dwelling behind a wall. And then every time you see the word villages, it means homes without a wall, out in the fields, out in the uh, surrounding countryside. So Jesus was going through all of the walled cities and all of the villages around the countryside it says in verse 35, and then he was teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Father, today my prayer is that we will acquire, that we will somehow understand and feel the passion of Jesus for the city. That we will somehow understand the importance of knowing the message of the cross and introducing the people of the city to the love of God, to the power of God. Today, help us take on the personality, the persona of Jesus in the church. We ask this in Jesus' name. And again, God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. This is one of the simplest texts in the Bible. It doesn't take a scholar to walk through these few verses and see very clearly the, the key things you can observe right from the beginning about the ministry of Jesus, about the motivation of Jesus, and about the method Jesus has. And that's really what we're going to do today. We're gonna to walk through those three things as we look, first of all, at the ministry of Jesus. What was it Jesus was doing in front of those disciples that he later wanted them to replicate? And the Bible tells us what he was doing. He was going to all the cities and all of the villages in the countryside. And he was doing three things. He was teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So let's talk about those three things for just a few moments. First of all, Jesus was teaching. The idea of, of teaching has to do with Jesus being inside the building of the synagogue where people gathered to worship. The religious people would gather to learn more about the Old Testament. And so Jesus would go to these cities and walk into the synagogues and un unroll the scroll of the Old Testament and he would begin to preach to them about the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament in him. But he had come to be the Messiah. In fact, one of the first public ministry uh, opportunities Jesus had. He enrolled the scroll, Isaiah 60, and says, this one who's being spoken of has come, and it, and it sent them into an outrage. But what Jesus was doing was going into every synagogue, teaching the Old Testament scripture and the fulfillment of them in him to all of the religious people. Now, obviously, teaching the word of God is extremely important. Teaching the Old Testament, teaching the New Testament is amazingly powerful for us all. In fact, the motivation behind Jesus doing that, our motivation is teaching uh, so that people can know the ways of God. We want you to know the ways of God when we teach the Word of God. We want you to know the truth about God. We want you to know the character of God and the promises of God. All those things that allow you to read your Bible and to know that God is speaking to you day in and day out. Teaching is what Jesus did. Teaching is what we do. The second thing Jesus was doing was sharing. He was literally proclaiming the message of the gospel. So outside the walls of those synagogues, Jesus was going everywhere, 
sharing good news. These were the irreligious people that were hearing these words. And basically, Jesus was telling them the good news that every one of them needed to hear, that he, Jesus, had come to fulfill the promise of the Old Testament in the Messiah, and that he had come to answer their need and to give himself to pay for their sins. Now, it took a while for everybody to understand this because the message was unfolding, but he was sharing and proclaiming the message of the gospel. Every time you see the word proclaim in the New Testament, don't read it as a preacher in a stage. Jesus was not preaching in the synagogue. He was going outside the wall into the city, engaging people in conversation. He's proclaiming the good news of the gospel to the woman at the well, proclaiming the good news of the gospel to that little man uh, named Zacchaeus, who was up in the tree, proclaiming the message of the gospel to uh, Nicodemus, who came to him at night, to the rich young ruler who came to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus was daily in conversation. He was proclaiming the message of the gospel. He was sharing the good news of the gospel. That's the second thing. Now, the reason we share, the reason Jesus shared, is because people needed to hear about the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and the salvation of God. Without Jesus sharing that, people would be hopelessly lost. Without the church sharing that, people are hopelessly lost. And finally, he was also what I call serving. Now, this is not in any way trying to shy away from the supernatural healing ministry of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the verse that we're reading, verse 35, gives us a very big statement. He was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So right at the top of this, let me clarify that Jesus had no hindrance in healing any kind of problem that nobody else could heal. He was supernatural in all he did. The lame walked, the blind were able to see, the deaf were able to hear, the mute were able to speak. He was healing every disease. But the word healing here is a word in the Greek that is therapeuo is the way you would say it. And it really meant what we say today is therapy, not only a physical healing, but also the incredible loving, caring presence of Jesus in people's lives. You know, you can be healed physically without really being loved much. Anybody ever been to a doctor and had an experience where the doctor had all the medicine he needed, all the diagnostic tools he needed, but a horrible bedside manner? Can't wait to get us out. Jesus not only healed He healed lovingly. He healed with care. He healed with great compassion. And that's what we're driving for today in this text, and that's what this text is saying. That what Jesus was doing was acting in a loving, caring, serving way. And every touch of Jesus with a touch of love. One of my first experiences with walking through Jesus' healing ministry uh, when it comes to digging into the Scripture was in Mark chapter 1. And one of my first experiences with Spiros Zodiades, who was my mentor in the original languages, in the Greek language, he took the word touch in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus touched the leper and began to explain that word to me. It's the Greek word haptome. And what it means is not just to touch simply by reaching out and touching, but to touch, to embrace, and to draw near. Now, if you put that in the context in which it was spoken, these untouchable people called lepers who were were not really touched by anybody in that culture. Jesus came to them, and not only did he heal the leper, but he did it in a a healing, comforting, uh, therapeutic, loving kind of way where he touched and embraced and drew them 
closer to him. And that kind of explains the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Not only get up and be well, but get up and be well and get over here and give me a hug because I'm loving you in an amazing way. Up to me. One of my first times to really see that visibly was my first trip to India where I went to a leper village called the Village of Love. And it was built by a group of people, a group of Christians, believers who wanted the untouchables of India, those who were afflicted by leprosy, to know that they were loved by God. I don't know if you know much about leprosy, but it is a disease that deadens the nerves and eats away at the skin. Because the nerves are deadened, people often would lacerate themselves or somehow get hurt and not know it. And it would become infected and it began to be eat away. So, so people in this leprosy village are people that have been rejected by their families, even their spouses. They have been rejected by culture and society and they're, they're called to live out alone with other lepers. And, and some of them are literally hideous in how they appear because the skin is being eaten away. Some of them have lost their eyesight or parts of their hands or their ears or their nose or their lips. And so they're not easy to look at. But in that, that city of love, where these lepers lived, there was a statue in the middle of that little village in a round rotunda so that all the lepers could see. And it was a statue of Jesus who had reached out and drawn the leper near and embraced him. And it was there, life-size, for all those lepers to know that Jesus not only loves them, not only is he able to heal them, but he's able to love them and draw them near to him. And that's what this is taking place here. Jesus was not only teaching the word of God, not only was he sharing good news, but he was serving people in an amazing way. And so what Jesus was doing was he was ministering inside the walls of the synagogue and outside the walls of the synagogue in order to introduce people to Jesus. Now here's a key point. If you read the gospels, most of the time Jesus spent was not inside walls, but outside in the community. It was not just gathering with others that might agree with him, but going outside the walls and ministering to people that did not know him, might not agree with him, might not line up with his views of, of what the scripture says, of what God the Father has said, but he was ministering outside the walls. Now that's a big deal because you and I gather together every week with other believers who believe the word of God, who love the God that we worship, who have been loved, by Jesus himself. We agree pretty much on what the word of God says, but that's just an hour or two every week. Most of the week, the other 166 hours a week, we're out there. And because we're out there, it really pays for us to look at the ministry of Jesus. Not only teaching, but also sharing and serving. We'll hear more about that in just a moment. The second thing this text tells us is something about the motivation of Jesus. And this is where the text gets really challenging because the Bible says in verse 36, seeing the people, not just the cities, not just the walls, not the building, but seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. This is the motivation. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Now let me talk to you for just a few moments about the city. Jesus went to the cities and to the villages. We live in a city. 
There are not too many villages around here, by the way. From what I can tell, over the last 50 or 60 years, we've gone from being a village of Euless, Texas to being a city of Euless, Texas. There's been a few collection of villages in the DFW area to massive cities in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We've gone from just a few million in population to 7.5 million in population. And, and the word city is important in the Bible, and it's important for you and for me. Did you know in the Bible, if you were to go and count every reference to the, to the word city in the Bible, or if you're like me and you have a great computer program that adds it all up for you, there's 1,300 references for the word city in the Bible. Among other things, when you read all these references to the city in the Bible, you'll see some of what God says is important to him about the city and the population centers. For example, if I were to read Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, a very clear mention of the word city. Seek the welfare of the city, Jeremiah says, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. In other words, the people of God in a city where pagan rulers ruled over them, the prophet says that God is telling you to seek the welfare and to pray for the city because as the city goes, so your life goes. It's important for us to care about the city. It's important for us to pray for the city. But in Jonah chapter four, where Jonah's been called as a prophet to go and proclaim good news to the Ninevites, to the city of Nineveh, we find another amazing reference. In Jonah chapter four, verse 11, Jonah is complaining about having to go to the city. And after he gets over his complaint by going to the city, uh, the method, by the way, in which he got over his complaint about going to the city was to be swallowed by a whale and then to be hurled up on the beach there near Nineveh, which will change anybody's attitude, I would think. It certainly changed his. But even after God moved in the city of Nineveh, Jonah was upset that God would show mercy to an evil, wicked city, that God would show mercy and show compassion on those people that he didn't like at all. And in chapter four, verse 11 of Jonah, God says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? Should I not have compassion on them, Jonah? The city is big in scripture. You are called to a city. Your city is the Dallas-Fort Worth area if you live here. Your city is massive, more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left. There are about 7.5 million people in the city of Dallas and Fort Worth combined. That's an amazing number of people. Now, if you really begin to dig into ongoing statistics, you'll find that more than five million of those people in the Dallas-Fort Worth area don't know their right hand from their left when it comes to knowing God. They do not know Christ. They are not involved in worship of God. They are not involved in understanding the gospel. It's an amazing number of people who do not have Christ. Now, if God were to say to Jonah, Shouldn't I have compassion on the 120,000? What do you think God is saying about the 5 million who don't know Christ? And someone may argue with me a little bit and say, well, aren't we the Bible belt? And aren't we in the buckle of the Bible belt? And I would say to you, you don't know your stats. You don't know your current statistics. In the year 2000, one of the most comprehensive studies of religion showed that 19% of those in Texas were actually attending church on a given week. 
So that would be in the city of Dallas-Fort Worth, the cities of Dallas-Fort Worth, of 7.5 million people in Dallas-Fort Worth, then only about 19% of those would be involved, engaged in the weekly worship of the Lord, which means there are 5 million people that are unchurched without the gospel, not actively worshiping the Lord. And if you dig into that a little deeper, you'll find that only 9%, not 19, but 9% of the 7.5 million are in, in evangelical churches. That is churches that unashamedly preach and proclaim and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. So logically speaking, in the year 2000, only about 630,000 people of seven plus million people were actually worshiping the Lord on any given moment. We don't live in the buckle of the Bible belt. We live in the middle of a sea of lostness. It's where we are. And everywhere we turn and everyone we see, there is potential for someone who's never heard about Jesus Christ at all. We're surrounded by people who do not know Christ. You live on a mission field. And because we live on a mission field, it's very appropriate for us to embrace mission lifestyle. Jesus ministered. Jesus was motivated by the people of his city and in those cities. You see the text here as we get back to Matthew 9, verse 35 and 36. Verse 36 in particular. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. This is the climactic moment in the text. And here's why this is the mountaintop moment. Because it's very deliberate in what Matthew writes about Jesus' ministry. He was going to the cities and villages. He was teaching. He was proclaiming. He was healing. And then this becomes a climactic moment because it gives the why, the why behind Jesus' ministry, the why behind what he's doing. And here is the why behind it. Seeing the people, he felt compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, downcast and dispirited. It's a pretty big deal. At this moment, we know what makes Jesus tick. And understanding what makes Jesus tick is a big deal when it comes to knowing God. Jesus came to explain God to us. Jesus came to explain the heart of God, the mind of God. John chapter one says, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, that is Jesus, he has explained him. He has revealed him. He's drawn the curtain back and he's let us see this is who the Father is. This is what the Father is saying. This text is key to us because it tells us that Jesus saw the people and he felt compassion for them. Now, if we're going we're gonna to marinate on this text for just a few moments, and if we're going to think about this text, we need to understand exactly what it means. Literally, these words mean that he was seeing people with perception. Not just seeing the crowd and not just seeing the outline of people and not just looking at the outside of people. When we see people, we see, we see what they look like. We see what they drive. We see where they live. We see what their clothing is like. We look at their hair. We look at their jewelry, we look at everything except their heart, but Jesus was seeing people and he was understanding them. He was understanding what was going on behind the outward facade. Seeing with perception, he was moved from within the deepest part of him. That's the best way to translate these words. In the New Testament times, when someone were to say, I love you with all my heart, they would say, I love you with all my guts. It doesn't sound really pretty to us today, but it's kind of the way they communicate. I love you with all my guts, with the deepest, innermost portion of my life. Now, I'll leave it to you to say that to your loved one. Honey, I love you with all my guts. I want you to know that. 
Let me know how that works out for you. But we'll just use the word heart, okay? But literally the Bible says from the innermost part of the sinless son of God, there was compassion for the people because of how downtrodden and outcast they were. And the reason this is such a climactic moment in the text is because if you and I don't grasp this part, we will never, ever truly participate in the ministry of Jesus. You're not gonna be motivated to teach, to share, to serve if you don't see people with compassion. And if you ever see someone that serves endlessly, if you ever see someone that, that shares the gospel with everyone that will hear, if you ever see someone that teaches with a passion, then you'll see somebody that is picked up on seeing people like they really are and knowing people need what God has to offer them. The motivation of Jesus is that he saw people and they were distressed, dispirited, and shepherdless. Now, I love the depiction of sheep and uh, it's kind of humiliating for the Bible to describe us as sheep because sheep are no big deal. I mean, like sheep are cute, furry, cuddly little animals that are absolutely worthless for most of us. <laughs> if you've ever been out in a field of sheep, then you'll know that sheep only have one set of teeth, not top and bottom, but just one set of teeth. They can't even clench, they can't bite. What they can do is they can pinch grass between their gums and their other set of teeth and pull it out of the ground. They can't defend themselves. When a wolf comes in among sheep, all the other sheep run. The one that's been caught simply lays down and prepares to die because there's nothing they can do to fend off the wolf. They're weak. They're helpless. They're hopeless. They smell bad. They make a mess. And God says, you're like sheep. Well, that's, uh, that's, really, that's really adorable, isn't it? It really is. The Bible says people are like sheep without a shepherd. And he's referring to the fact that sheep who've been mauled by wolves, so to speak, sheep that are like people that have no fit defense, that have no way of handling those who have misled them, who have used them, who have abused them, who ignored them, or who deceived them. And Jesus was moved because he knew their true spiritual condition, their lostness, and their hopelessness. And when I think about these people that Jesus is describing as sheep and the people that Jesus has moved with compassion towards, and I began to analyze who were these people, what were they doing, then it helps to ask us a few questions. Were these people victims of bad choices? Yes, they probably were. Were they bad neighbors? Probably were. Were they part of a bad culture? Yes. Did they have evil hearts? Yes, they certainly did. Did they ignore God? Yes, they ignored God. Were they selfish? Yep, they were selfish. Were they lazy? Were they stubborn? Were they willful? Were they dumb sheep? Yes, they were. Were these people deserving of all that was happening to them? Yes, yes, and yes. And most of the time, when we look at people that are far from God, we say, well, I guess they deserve that. They ignored God, or they, they didn't uh, follow God. They didn't bother to find out what God said about that, so they just deserve that. Notice, Jesus did not do that. Jesus, in spite of all of the bad, had compassion on them. He loved and related to them anyway. Now, I know this is true because I've experienced it and you have too. It's possible for a group of people called Christ followers or the church, for that church to be capable of assuming a religious or a relational personality. And let me just say, if we assume a religious personality and don't assume a relational personality, we're not a whole lot like Jesus. Jesus was not a whole lot religious, 
but it was a whole lot relational. Jesus was not all about just making sure everybody did the right thing. He was all about bringing everybody to the right God. He was relational. And one of the most important things that we can do when we understand the motivation of Jesus is to take that motivation on us and learn to love people anyway. Because how we love people will affect whether we do one thing for their benefit or not. So, seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them. You almost might be able to say, Jesus gave them the look. And when he gave them the look, it was a look of compassion. So let me ask you, what does that look look like? The Bible says he was moved with compassion. That meant when he was looking at them, he was not moved with judgmentalism, but he was moved with compassion. It meant he was not moved with anger, but he was moved with compassion. It means he was not moved with impatience or superiority, but compassion. It means that he was not moved with disapproval, but compassion. Not moved to rebuke them or revile them, but to show compassion. And here's what I want to say on the basis of this text. I want to say to all the shepherdless people, the people that have never met Jesus, the people that have never followed Jesus, the people of our city, if you've been judged by the church or if you've uh, been treated with anger by the church or if you've seen the impatience or the pride or the rudeness of the church or if you've been met with disapproval or rebuke or reviled, I'm sorry, what you caught us being was religious and what you should have caught us being was more like Jesus, which is relational. We became forgetful of the compassion of our founder. You caught us being human, but here's the deal. Jesus is better than that. And as we follow Jesus, we will have more compassion, and that's our intent. You see, we, we have the message of the cross, and if we're going to take it to the city, we've got to take it to the city with the compassion that Jesus showed us to have, and we're always better when we follow him closely. Can you feel compassion for your city. Can you feel it? The third thing in this text is the method. Now we don't spend a lot of time on the method because next week we're going to look at it further about the method. The Bible says that in verse 37, after this key verse about Jesus' compassion, it says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So let's make sure we understand what Jesus is saying here. To those who followed him, he said, pray, go, pray for others to go, and share the compassion that I've shown you with others. That's why in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says to those who are trying to define what is the call of Jesus Christ, and Jesus said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross daily and follow me. You'll have to die to yourself. You'll have to die to all of what your agenda is. And you're going to have to follow me and give compassion where you wouldn't normally give compassion and to show love where you wouldn't at first want to show love. It's not your default, but it's my default. And if you're going to follow me, die to self and follow me that way. Jesus is basically saying, mobilizing all you can do to go to the cities and villages to do what I've done, to share with them what I have shared with them. And we are well positioned to do that. You know, over the last uh, 10 days, I've had interesting times in prayer with the Lord. And, and over the last 10 days, I've spent a lot of time doing nothing but thanking him. Nothing but thanking him. And it wasn't so much my intent. Uh, that's not what I set out in my prayer time to do. But in my prayer time, God has said, just stop, pause, 
and just start giving thanks. Giving thanks for all the things that I have raised up, all the people that are following this mission, this vision that we have. Uh, give thanks for all I've already done, how I've provided for the future, all the avenues by which you can really show compassion for your city. Start giving thanks, start giving thanks, because you are well prepared to reach this city the way I want them reached from this text. And we are. Think about this every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, we have a traditional worship service at 8.30 that people who love traditional music, and some of them are older people who have walked with the Lord for many, many years, rejoice in the Lord. They're, they're very engaged with us in that and bringing people with them. It's standing room only in there at 8.30. At 11 o'clock, our Spanish service begins to kick off. 300, 350 people that speak Spanish and not a whole lot of English are hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ, coming to faith in Christ, being baptized. At 11 o'clock in another chapel, our international crowd, people primarily of, of Asian background or Pacific Rim culture are worshiping together, hearing the same messages that we're preaching from their pastors and, and coming to faith in Christ. And at 11 o'clock, we meet in here. And today in the North location, another group is launching as well. That's inside the walls. Inside the walls, we have connection groups and small groups where we build relationships with people and open the word of God together, disciple one another and grow in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Outside the wall, we're engaged in our community where we're helping people that are hurting, the down and adders as well as the up and adders that, that need assistance, that need encouragement. We help people that are, are needing a job getting engaged with those who can hire them. We're helping people who are in the schools and after school Bible programs. We're helping equip people to share the gospel so that wherever they go, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached and shared. We have everything it takes to change the world from right here. All we need is the motivation that Jesus had. That's all we need. When he saw the people, he felt compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd, dispirited and downcast. And that's why Jesus did what he did. Those early disciples became leaders of the church, those that saw that example. And that's us today. That's us. Somehow, somewhere down the road, a baton was handed from those early disciples and apostles to the next generation of the church, to the next, to the next, to the next. And today, that's us. That's us. And as clearly... And as powerfully as that New Testament church began to embrace what Jesus was doing that we've been talking about today, so you and I have that opportunity to see people, to really see them, to feel compassion, and to share, to serve, to teach the way Jesus did. We have an incredible heritage, an incredible leader, Jesus, who has given us the baton. I want you to stand for just a moment. And as we stand, I want you to think about the amazing love of God. Our counselors are gonna come forward and as they come, they're gonna be standing across the front. Please come right now and face the back, face the congregation if you would. And they're here to pray with you today. This is a time of engagement and a time of prayer, a time of counsel today. If you want to come and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are waiting for you to do that, ready for you to do that. Could be some of the most powerful two or three minutes in your whole week today. It may be you want to come and pray for someone else. It may be you want to come about something else God has in your life. Come and grab hands with one of these individuals and let them pray with you. But as we sing and as we allow you to respond, I want you to think about the amazing love of God. 
expressed to you. That love is powerful. That love is supernatural. Would you come?